Thanks for listening to the podcast of Hope Church in East Hampton, Connecticut. Our mission is to love God, love people, and serve the world. To find out more about Hope Church, be sure to check out our website at cthope.com. Good, I'll give you, I'll give you more time. It's good. I got a text from someone, and that was very sweet, so thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Mom. <laughs> I love it. I love it. You can take as long as you need uh, with that. Uh, thank you to the people behind me. Um, good morning. It's good, and it's important to say thank you. And often we, we think about something. If you're like me, you might be thinking it and you head, oh, I gotta reach out to that person and then you never do because you get caught up with life, right? And, and so we want to say thank you this morning. There are people in this life we owe a debt of thanks to. Like I said before, it could be a mom or a dad or a, a grandma or a grandpa, a guardian, a mentor, a teacher. I shared um, a while back, you know, there was a point uh, several years ago where I, I thought about someone um, in, in peers of mine, people kind of my age, but back in high school and college who really built into my life. And a few years ago, even though we lost track, I texted them and said, hey, thank you. I don't think you had any idea the impact that that had on me. And that's the reason why we sing that great Natalie Merchant song from 1998, Kind and Generous. Of course, Kathy kills it too. I just love how she sings that. Yep. And as we continue in our series on the book of Philippians, which you saw kind of the recap from last week, I want you to keep in mind that this is really a thank you letter. This book of Philippians is really a thank you letter. Paul is thanking this group of people, and I'm going to tell you specifically why in just a little bit. And he's thanking this church for their extraordinary kindness and extraordinary generosity. And so I would love to tell you the story leading up to this book being written. Is that okay? Last week I didn't get into really any history or background. So today I'm going to take my time and talk about why this book was being written in the first place. Because here's the thing. Sometimes we look at the Bible and we kind of think of it as kind of this... Um, I don't know, this, this distant and unrelatable type thing. We've kind of separated ourselves from the fact that this is historical. This is real life. This is true story. And I want to remind you that what is going on here, I believe, is historically factual. And um, so, so we're going to go back there. So in, in about the 8030s or so, there was this guy named Saul, and he did not like this group of people, like I talked about last week, this group of people, we call them Christians, we call them followers at the time of the way, and he did not like what they were teaching, what they were doing, and so he made it his mission to persecute them, to torture them, to find them, and even to kill them. And we have stories in the scripture where he is leading that charge. And then something really, really crazy happens to this guy, Saul. It's kind of like he had this God moment, literally. And he had this encounter that forever changed his life. 
This man who persecuted disciples of Jesus actually ended up becoming a disciple of Jesus himself. And with all of this, came, he came to be known as Paul, this name change, and also he became to be known as one of the greatest missionaries of all time. A person who took the gospel, the good news of the way, all across the world. And now we look back now today in, in, our, in our setting, and we look back and we see all the great things that he does, he does and, and we could account for those stories. But let me remind you, at the time, it was not so good. It was not so nice. It was not so great. In fact, he found himself now under constant attack. And the Bible, again, describes all of this in the book of Acts. And a lot of this, this, um, this anger came from the Jewish people themselves, who were still looking for the Messiah. And Paul says, no, the Messiah came, he died, he rose again, he's for us. He wants us to have this gift, he took this for you. And they're like, no, nope, no, nope, we're still waiting. He had, that is not what we saw. So they saw him as heretical to their own religion and to the way that they followed. He also faced scrutiny from the Roman government at the time. And I want to remind you, it's around this time, in like the AD 50s, this is when Emperor Nero becomes, rises into power. So this is the kind of time frame that we're talking about. And we know, if we look back historically, the kinds of atrocities that happened to Christians under Nero. So he faced scrutiny and persecution from the Roman government because they were, they were um, a nation who at the time believed in many gods. And Paul is teaching the one true living God. But through it all, Paul was gripped by this passion that he had to tell others about this Jesus, the Messiah. And he says it himself. He tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 22 through 23, it says, I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means, I might save some. And I do all of this, all of the trouble I'm going through, all of the things I'm enduring, I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessings. He becomes all things to all people. He goes, everything's on the table now because I just want you to know Jesus. I want you to know of the same person who I encountered and changed my life dramatically. And so this is what begins to happen. Saul, or actually Paul, begins to go on these missionary journeys, these trips across the world. He brings his friends with him, people like Luke and Barnabas, and Silas, and, and Timothy. Again, if you've been in church or you've read scripture before, you may recognize some of those names. They start going on these journeys all across the world, really. It starts in Asia, and his whole first trip was in Asia. And then they decided uh, they wanted to keep going through Asia. And as a, again, there's this crazy story. God says, nope, you're not doing that. I have a different plan. He goes, but I really want to go farther this way. And he goes, nope, I'm going to send you another way. And so he sends them across the sea to Europe. And it is here that they stop at a Roman colony called Philippi. And I have a map of this. If you want to throw that up for me, Bob. You can see this is kind of where he started over here in Jerusalem. And then he begins to make this trip all the way through. 
And then when he says, you say, Troas, and he crosses over to Philippi, that is, as I talked about last week, what's amazing about this book is it's the first church that was ever formed on the continent of Europe. But I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. Let me tell you what happens. So when they get to Philippi, Bible says they're there for several days, and they meet this woman named Lydia. Lydia was a businesswoman, very well respected, um, very successful, someone with influence. And they met this woman, and they began to talk about Jesus with her. And she says, you know what? I am in. I am all in. And I want to follow this same Jesus. And the Bible tells us that her family also joined in, and they're like, we are all in. By the way, you can find all of this in Acts chapter 16, okay, if you want to uh, go deeper later. So she's like, yes, I am in. I am, I am down with this, and this is awesome. This is going to change my life. And, and also, so it's, it's weird. So then this whole time, and it's this very strange, unique story, there's this girl that's following Paul and his friends the whole time. And she's acting very oddly. And she's acting very strangely. We find out, the Bible tells us, she is actually demon-possessed. Again, crazy stuff. So she's following these guys around. They're in this brand new town, right? They're, they're trying to make connections. And, they're like, and this girl's like pointing them out, saying, oh, look at them. They're telling about Jesus as the Messiah. Which we already know is kind of a controversial thing, right? So it's really interesting. Uh, so... At, one point, Paul just had it. So in Acts chapter 16, verse 18, he says, This went on day after day until Paul was so exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And instantly it left her. Now check this out. Her master's hopes. Now back up. What was happening is she had people who really loved the fact that she was a little bit crazy because they would make money off of it. And she would go and try to give prophecies, kind of like fortune-telling to people, right? So they would make money off of her lunacy. And so it says here in that verse, her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered. And so they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. And they said, the whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews. And they shouted to the city officials, they're teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. And so Paul and Silas are arrested and they're put in jail. Okay, the story goes on. I told you, I'm going to give you this history. So while they're sitting in jail, this huge earthquake happens. And it kind of destroys the town. And the prison that they were chained up in is completely destroyed. Walls falling, whatever. And all of their chains for all the prisoners in that prison had broken off. I mean, escape city, right? And the Roman jailers, the prison guards, were so scared because if they had lost in that time, if they had lost any prisoners under their watch, they would be beheaded. And they were so scared that they were like, I am not going back to Rome. I'm going to take my own life. And the Bible says, just as they were about to fall on the sword, Paul screams out, hey, stop. Don't do it. We're all here. And this so impacted the head jailer, this Philippian jailer, 
that he says, I want to know more about what your life is all about. And so this is where we get that really famous verse in the Bible, in Acts chapter 16, verse 31, because this guy says, okay, what do I need to do to be like you? How do I, how do I become saved? How do, how do I follow this Messiah? And he says what? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. And the same thing happens. He accepts Jesus. He tells his whole family. They accept Jesus. And now, do you see what's happening? Now, we have this small group of people, this, this businesswoman, this, like, lunatic woman, this prison guard, and his, all their families. And this little bond starts to grow, and they become part of the first church in Europe. This is the church of Philippi. Pretty cool. Now we're going to fast forward some time, 10 or 15 years probably. Paul again finds himself chained up as a prisoner under house arrest in Rome. He's awaiting trial for accusations that are just plain false. And like I said last week, so it's this time that he's appealing to the Caesar himself to say, this is not okay. Like, I'm going to do everything I can to let you know that this is not okay. And so as he's sitting here under house arrest, this is when he begins to write. Because here's what happens. This church in Philippi that started to grow a little bit, and again, all these people that he had made this impact with 10, 15 years prior had heard of, of what was happening with Paul. And so this little struggling church said, we need to do something. We need to help because, like I said, if you didn't have money as a prisoner to pay for your own lodging, to pay for your own food, they would just sit you outside and just wait. You know, if, if you died before your trial came, then so be it. And they're like, no, we need to send him. We need to take care of him. And so they send this man named Epaphroditus. I know it's a kind of a hard, weird name. Epaphroditus, he's a part of this Philippian church, and they're like, go and take Paul this care package. Bring him the money that we collect. Bring him food. Bring him clothing. Whatever was there. And they sent him on this journey. And Paul is overwhelmingly, like, uh, expressive of his thanks for their kindness and for their generousness. Epaphroditus ends up becoming so ill, he almost dies. And actually, as we venture into this book today, Philippians chapter 2, you'll see, again, you could do this on your own, you'll see what he says about Epaphroditus saying, I am so grateful for this person, honestly, coming out here, taking care of me, and really almost giving up his life just to help me. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This church is a church that Paul loved. This church is a church that was grateful to Paul and vice versa. And so we have this book of Philippians. It becomes an incredible book. And I think God is teaching us a lot of things through it. And here we find ourselves so many years later picking apart what are the things that we could pull out of it. What are the things that we need to learn right now in this time and in this way. Throughout this book and throughout this story, I've been struck by the behavior 
of the people who call themselves Christians can literally change the course of history. But I'm equally struck at how the Christian actions can immediately destroy our influence and become a block to the cause of Jesus as well. Because here's the pain point that I want us to feel today, and we talked about this a little bit last week. Christians kind of have a bad rap. And for good reason. Because we can be the most hypocritical, unloving, judgmental, not so kind and generous people that I know. And I'm not preaching at you. I'm not trying to yell at you. I'm just trying to say it like it is. We talked about this. Like, there's a people why people. Uh, there's a reason why people have skepticism towards the church, towards pastors, towards institutions and leadership in general. Like, there's a whole bunch of hypocrites there. But I'm not satisfied with leaving it at that because I think. There are four secrets in this book that I'm pulling out, and there's probably more, but four secrets that I think if we could get them into our hearts, it could literally change our world and the people around us and say, I want what they have. Can we reverse the label? Can we reverse the stigma? Can we reverse the bad luck? I don't know. But here's what I do know. I can't control other people's actions, but I certainly can control mine. I can control my behavior. I can control my responses. And if we're really willing to, to, to put our hearts in that place and to listen to what Paul says in his encouragement, his love letter to this group of people, I think we can learn so much. And so last week, we unlocked the secret, number one, that we are in this struggle together. Philippians chapter 1, verse 30. We need each other. I'm not going to recap every because I already did in a really awkward video. But we don't get to worship God alone. We need each other. And if we have this unity within us, that is something very unique to the outside world. And I want to take that theme and push it more forward today because I think we're going to see this in Philippians chapter 2. In fact, the first several verses are called the greatest call to unity in the entire word of God. But Jesus himself, this was his heart. John chapter 17 verse 21 says, he's praying to God and he says, I pray that they will all be one. Just like you and I are one, God, you are in me Father, and I am in you, and may they be in us so that the world will believe. You see, Jesus knew we could change the world. And so for the next few minutes that we have, we're going to find and unlock secret number two. And so here's how we're going to start. We're going to start in Philippians chapter two. If you have your Bibles, that is awesome. You could turn there. I encouraged you last week, and I'll put up the slide again. If you do not have a Bible, I would love for you to follow along. You could download an app on your phone. It's called the YouVersion app. And you could find that in your Apple store or your Android store, all that kind of stuff. You should download it. You need God's word in your heart. And by the way, um, several of you took Bibles last week, and we ran out, so I have more. So if you want a Bible, we will give you one. That's how much we believe that every person needs to have Scripture in their hands. Okay, Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. We're going to read this together. 
Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? I'm going to stop right there. So uh, I use this uh, version of the Bible. It's called the New Living Translation. It's awesome. I find it very helpful for me, but I'm not quite sure for this particular verse that I love this translation the most. If you are reading another translation, maybe your Bible says something a little bit differently. It's probably going to say something like, therefore, if, or if, therefore, and then it goes on, which tells me, okay, there's something going on here. Therefore, because of all this, if this happens, then something is going to happen. Okay, so that's the frame of mind I want to put us in. If this happens, then something happens. So let's break this apart here. If it's true, he's saying, that we can be encouraged as we set apart our lives to follow Jesus. The word there in Greek is paraklesis. It was written in Greek, which is the same word for Holy Spirit in the Bible. That's comfort, okay? If we can truly be encouraged as we set apart our lives to follow Jesus, if that's true, if that's true, that there's this encouragement, this comfort that comes alongside us when we express faith in Christ. He goes on. If it's true that we can truly be comforted because of a love so great found in Jesus. Now, this is not the best word, comfort. It's actually, uh, a better word is solace or peace. If it's true that as a Christian, you could find this solace or peace in your life. Again, something we don't see very often. He goes on, if it's true that we can have real fellowship, the word is koinonia, with the Holy Spirit that indwells us, God is inside us. If you call yourself a believer, by the way, he's writing this book primarily to believers. People who say, I'm a Christian, I want to follow Jesus. If that's true, he says one more statement. If it's true that we can truly feel, that we can make our life, uh, through, make it through life in love. This is a really interesting word. Uh, the, 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 the idea here, and we will not understand it in this culture, is the word bowels. But way deep inside of us, the emotional sense, if we can feel that God's love makes a difference, love wins in every case. I like the way the message version shoots out Philippians 2, 1. It says, if you've gotten anything out of following Christ, if his love has made any difference in your life, if being in a community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care, then... Here comes our then. He says, then do me a favor. What's the favor? Then make me truly happy, verse 2, by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Everybody say one. That we agree, that we love, and that we work together with one mind and one purpose. We are entering the greatest section of the Bible on unity within believers in this entire scripture. Literally, this means if you can be like-minded, that's where that agreement word means, literally. If you could strive to achieve agreement and understanding with each other. If you could truly show agape love, that means it's not romantic, it's, it's we're, we're willing ourselves to love other people, that we care for their welfare, 
It's not emotional. It's not attractional. And finally, if we could be literally of one soul, the word here could also be used um, harmony or harmonic. And as a musician, I think of that. I think of a chord, right? Typically, when I play the piano, I play three uh, fingers on a chord, and all of them have to fit together. We call that harmonies. If we could unite our souls around that, he says, you have the option, you have the ability, I mean, to change the world. You have the ability to push Jesus' name farther than you could ever imagine. He goes, the problem is, we get in the way. Let's keep reading. Verse 3, he goes, this is what you can't do. If you want to really have this, this is what you can't do. He goes, don't be selfish and don't try to impress other people. As I was thinking about this, as I was preparing this week, here's the thought that came into my head. I think selfishness, um, the root of just about every sin that we commit is rooted in selfishness. If we really think about it, we want to feel a certain way, we want to be a certain way, we want to look a certain way, and that makes us feel good or it helps us out. We're thinking of ourselves more than our others. He goes, you really want unity? you got to stop right there. It starts with you. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Do you have an inflated view of self is what he's saying. Do you have a pride that thinks of yourself more highly than you think of other people? And I will say this. We all do it. Some of you are much better than, than me. But we all do this. He goes, instead of doing that, he goes, do this. He continues on in that verse, be humble. Thinking of yourselves, thinking of others as better than yourselves. The word there for humble literally means lowly. You are on the lowest of the totem pole when it comes to this mutual thing. You should think of yourselves as lowly and unfit. And think more of your neighbor in a way that surpasses you. How does that strike you? How does that feel to you? How do you do with that? I don't do well with that. Okay, he goes back to some don'ts. Verse 4, he goes, don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. The idea here is selflessness. The idea here is look out for other people. It's that verse in the Bible that says, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, right? It can't be just about us. He's calling for unity. He's saying deference. Deferring to another is a mark of unity, and it comes through the Holy Spirit. Which leads me this morning to the climactic end, this unbelievable poem, this Jesus poem, I'll call it. One of the greatest poems in all of scripture that not only teaches us theology, but teaches us why Jesus came and why Jesus cared. Let's read this. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. He goes, if you want this, if you really want your life to make a difference, if you really want to change the name Christians have, if you want a church to be looked at and respected and brought, you know, glorif glorifying the name of Jesus, then this is what you need to do. Verse 5, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. 
though he was God, supreme being over all the world, on his throne in heaven, sitting next to his father, and though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up. Everybody say gave up. Gave up. The king of the universe gave up all his divine privileges, it says. He took the humble position of a slave, the lowly one, and was born as a human being. What's what we celebrated at Christmas time, right? And then when he appeared in human form, he then humbled himself. He became lowly. He thought of you and I more than himself. He becomes lowly in obedience to God and dies a criminal's death on a cross. In the pain and in the agony of that moment, he thinks of you and me and his church. That's why he spilled his blood out. Because like I said, the church is the hope of the world. And who makes up the church? Me and you, and the person across the aisle, all of us together. If we are doing anything to dishonor that name, we dishonor Jesus himself. So he humbles himself in obedience to God and dies a criminal's death on the cross. And therefore, God elevates him to the highest place of honor and gives him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen and amen. I know maybe I got a little bit annoying last week when I said, why are you here? But that's why we're here. What an unbelievable picture that we have that's the picture we need when we begin to say yep i got this or i tell you what the real answers are or you know nope our lord and savior jesus christ had rights and privilege that he gave up and what god says throughout scripture when we give up he elevates us. The first become last and the last become first. And so here is the second secret that we are unlocking in this great book of the Bible. We take our key and we stick it in the door and we turn it to the right and we open it up and this is what I believe it says. Humility wins. Humility wins. I truly believe, I truly believe with all my heart that first of all, first of all, this will take us a lifetime and we still won't get it right. But as we work on this, this literally can change the way people see Jesus in us. The way people view the church. The way people treat each other. The way we experience peace in our life. It changes things when we make ourselves lowlier than the next. When we defer to the other. Humility wins. In other words, let me say it like this. Humility brings unity. 
One of the keys, you want to be unified, you want to talk about people bringing, coming together, then we need to be humble ourselves. What's really going to unite hearts and minds is thinking not as much of ourselves and thinking more of others. It starts with me, and it starts with you, and it must pervade the church. Why? Why? Because the church is God's living, breathing presence of Jesus in the world. Do you realize that? Do you realize that? That's what I mean, like the church is the hope of the world. When people see the church, they're like, that is Jesus in action. It should be. It's the living, breathing essence of Jesus in this world. So we've unlocked two secrets so far. I wish I could keep going on and on in chapter 2. But truthfully, you'll, you'll be able to do it yourself. In fact, I, I actually made a slide. If you want to go deeper, I have a link that you can go to. You could take a picture of this. It's also out in the lobby. You could also find it on our website, on the watch page. You can take this to the next level for yourself. But number one, let's realize we are in this struggle together. And number two, humility wins. May we be a church. May we be people who defer for each other. That God and God alone will be magnified and glorified. And when that happens, I really, truly, I, I truly believe, if I did not believe this, I would not be here doing what I do. I think it could change a community. And I think it changes the world. Do you think Paul knew he was changing the world while he was in it? I, I, I'm not so sure. I think he was just being obedient. He's like, I need to tell some of this. He, they changed the world. A demon-possessed girl changes the world. A successful businesswoman who finds Jesus changed the world. A Roman prison guard changed the world. We need to lock in to what God is telling us. And I think this book is so rich. Philippians is so rich for us. You could read ahead for next week in chapter 3. We'll pick up. Same time, same place. Let's pray together. Lord, I love this church. I love that you brought this community of people together. I don't know everyone. I don't know what their story is. I don't know their background. I don't even know where they are in their spiritual journey. But that's, that's okay because you have brought us together in this time and in this place. And I pray that any words that I say would just according to your spirit, sit in our hearts and our minds and our souls. And if I say something that's way off, God, just eliminate it from their mind or from their memory. It's not about what I say. It's about what I think your word says. Help us to be people who love you more than ourselves. And God, help us to be people who love others more than ourselves. This is a book, Philippians said, it's the most joyful book ever written. And I would agree with that. And God, I think about that acrostic. If you put Jesus first and others second and yourself last, it spells out joy. And that's really what we're getting at. God, give us that today. Give us a peace that passes all understanding. Give us a confidence in knowing that you're good and that you're for me and for every person in this room. And may we lift up your name high in this place. In Jesus' name.